You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Glenn Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Lisa Wysocki in Nashville, Tennessee. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for October 26th, episode 3046. This episode is brought to you by Stateline Tack. Good morning, horse people. Hey, you made it to Wednesday. Only three days left till a weekend full of horsey fun. Lucky for you, you have Jamie and Glenn to get you through on Horses in the Morning. Well, good morning, everybody. As you know, at this point, uh, Jamie is out doing her clinic. I haven't seen any pictures from the clinic. Me either. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, we hope it's going well. And Lisa, thank you for filling in. Appreciate that. You're so welcome. In this Daily Dose Equine Health segment today, Dr. Eleanor Green is joining us to speak about a new equine education program at Lincoln Memorial University. We've been talking about the lack of vets around the country, and I know a lot of you have to go a long way to find an equine vet, and uh, hopefully there's some institutions like this out there trying to solve that problem. We also have some book recommendations. Uh, When Lisa and I get together, we like to do book recommendations every once in a while, so uh, I have a couple, but they're not horsey, so uh, you have to tolerate a non-horsey book recommendation for me. (laughs) And we're going to answer a listener question that they sent in specifically for you, Um, and also we're going to do this month's studies show. So we have a lot coming up on the show today. We'll also do a post-show, and we're not sure what we're going to talk about yet, but I I'm just going to promise it's going to be happier than Mondays. <laughs> so, that sounds good. That doesn't yeah. raise the bar all that much. <laughs> no, it was a pretty, I was a serious topic on Monday, and it has to be talked about, but it's like, oh, yeah. we're going we're gonna to get off that topic. Yeah. Well, we do have something coming up from one of our sponsors, and that's Arena Saddles. And they, they're they sponsoring the Arena Saddles Sportsmanship Award. I'm just going to read some of this to you. Uh, basically, this award is to honor equestrians who put others before themselves and display acts of selflessness, kindness, and integrity in the equestrian community. Uh, so they're looking out and asking for nominations right now for people who you think fit this. And their criteria are they display exceptional sportsmanship. Uh, such as handling victory and defeat with grace and dignity. They treat everyone with fairness and courtesy. I feel like we wiped out half the horse population already. Uh, (laughs) Set an example by creating a positive and encouraging environment. And as a reward for their positive influence and sportsmanship, they will receive the arena saddle of their choice. Wow. Uh, And five runners up will get a arena saddle bag. So, there, I will put a link to the nomination page, and you can go do that right now. You can nominate before November the 30th, so get your nominations in before the end of November. Uh, you all know somebody like this, uh, so yeah, let's honor them, and it doesn't have to be a top writer. This is not meant for superstars. This is meant for the people you know who just go out of their way to help others. I love so, that. Yeah, so if you, if you feel like, ah, uh, you know... It, it, Boyd Martin's going to win. That's not who this is meant for. Uh, This is meant for people you know who are doing good things and are a positive influence. So get that, uh, get those nominations in today, uh, and I'll post the link in the show notes right there on your podcast player. All right, let's do some daily winnies. (laughs) 
<laughs> we have two birthdays in the auditor room uh, today, and that's Joe Lynn Lunders and Jessica Sack- Sackett. Happy birthday to both of you. We hope you have a terrific day. So, Glenn, my daily when he goes to a friend of mine, Liz Mallard, and a lot of the listeners know that I don't have great internet, and I'm, I know a lot of them can um, empathize with that because they live in rural areas too. And so, Liz is a friend of mine who, uh, you know, we talked about her a little bit on on Monday's show. Uh, she, uh, we found her in homelessness, and she's just doing great. Anyway, I'm using her apartment and her internet. Oh, that's uh, kind of ironic in a way. I, isn't that great? <laughs> it's just great. And she's just so wonderful. And um, so my daily Winnie goes out to her because, you know, she's become a true friend. And, and uh, you know, what would we be without friends who have internet? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about our book recommendations for the month. Um, when Lisa and I get together, we like to do book recommendations. Obviously, Lisa's an author and written many books. And I think people like to hear about different books that people like. I know we talk about TV shows and stuff like that all the time. Yeah, yeah. So I have two, and neither one of them are horsey, but uh, uh, and both involve comedy. So big okay. surprise there, right? Jennifer and I are huge Big Bang Theory fans. We were so sad when that show went off the air, and we've seen every episode at least 65 times because oh they're, on, they're on and reruns 24 yeah. hours a day someplace. <laughs> uh, so we've watched all of them. And to get to sleep at night, if you know, once you, if you watch a really serious show before bed at night, you need comedy, right? Oh, or yes. You're all wound up. Yes. So there's a book called The Big Bang Theory just came out by Jessica Radloff. And she tells the story of Big Bang from even before it was dreamed of. Really? So she talks about the creators and how they came, and, and that's like two chapters, just how they got to the Big Bang Theory and the idea. Wow. Um, and how crazy it was and how they fully expected to be rejected uh, because they were proposing a show about uh, – uh, you know, about some really nerdy guys, right? Right. Who work at a university. And, and you know, so they they really expected to be rejected. Uh, so, you know, they went through the whole story, and then it went through the casting process of all of them. And I know a lot of you are Big Bang Theory fans. Uh, Jamie is not. She hates it. Uh, but she has no taste in TV, so we don't even count <laughs> that. Uh, but I know a lot of you were. So this is if you liked Big Bang Theory, this is a book you have to read. Because I, I'm halfway through it, and I, I've learned so much stuff about the whole what they've gone, what they went through, and how they hired everybody, and you know, it's just really cool. So, do they have a lot of pictures in there, like behind the? Scenes? I don't know. I'm doing the audiobook. Oh, so. got it. Okay. Now, I was lucky enough when I went out to a podcasting conference once. Uh, a bunch of uh, well, three lesbians and I. Uh, matter of fact, we <laughs> joked all day that it was three lesbians and a cowboy in the car. Um, <laughs> so we went to Universal Studios after the podcasting conference. And we took a tour, and they were giving tours of the Big Bang set that day. Oh, how cool is that? So they weren't filming, but we got to see the set. And, and, you know, Jamie always said it was a laugh track, which isn't true, because they had 200 people in the audience. The bleachers were set up there. But it was really cool to see the sets that, you know, we had seen a hundred times on on the show. uh, And they're all lined up. 
you know. And then there's a couple of sets that they use every once in a while that they roll in and out. Oh. So because they film this in front of a live studio audience, you know, they have to have the sets right there. Yeah. And very occasionally did they do outside scenes. So it was really cool how it was all set up and how we did it. So And that was still running then. So I got to see it and get to see the actors where they hang out and all that. So that was really neat. And it was yeah. completely different than I expected. <laughs> so it was, They always are. They yeah. always look, you know, they look so so bright and vibrant on TV. And then they, a lot of sets I've been on look kind of cheesy in person. Oh, it's dark, too. Yeah. You know, you walk in and they, I, I understand not putting lights on, right? It's a big warehouse, basically. Yeah. But uh, but it's so dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only thing that's lit up is the, sta- is the set. You right. You know, is the stage. And that's very <laughs> confined. Everything else is dark. Yeah. But I was impressed with how many cameras, you know, just all the stuff, and how many staff to put on a show. There's like 200 staff to put mm-hmm. on each episode. It's crazy. Oh, it's a big thing. You're going to find out about all about I'm that. I'm going to find out about all that. <laughs> <laughs> so the second one is Jim Gaffigan is one of our favorite comedians. Mm-hmm. Love Jim Gaffigan. And he did a book called Food, A Love Story. And he, you have to listen to the Audible book of this. Don't buy the book because he reads it. Oh, wow. And, and it is he is hilarious anyway, but when he reads his own book, it is doubly hilarious. And this is all about food. The entire book is about food, and basically it's, it's just one big, long stand-up comedy bit about all different kinds of food. It is hilarious. Jennifer and I listened to it in the book on trips. It is just hilarious. Or, yeah, it's just funny as heck. So if you like Jim Gaffigan at all, and, and you like just hearing funny stories about food, it's called Food, a Love Story. It's on Audible. Definitely listen to this one. Don't read this one because it's just funnier. Isn't that amazing it. though? How how different formats? Like you can you can see you can read the book and then you can watch the movie and you can listen to the audiobook and it's all three very different. Well, and I think it depends who obviously reads the audiobook. Sure, but in a case like him where he's you know funny as heck anyway, uh, re- listening to him read it. Now, if somebody else was reading this book for him, it wouldn't have been as good. No. You know, then you could have read it or whatever. It would have been the same. But with him doing the book, uh, you know, it was definitely good. Mm -hmm. So I highly recommend that. Jennifer had one that she recommends, too. Um, It's called Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. Did you listen to this one, Jennifer? So she really liked this one. She said there's a lot of twists and turns in this book, and it's not anything like the title indicates. Um, but she really did like this book, and she recommends Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. And an octopus tells the story. Oh, that's fun. So it's told by an octopus. Okay. Even Lisa hasn't written a book with an octopus no. telling the story. <laughs> All right, there's our recommendations, and we'll put these in the show notes as well. So what I find really interesting, Glenn, is um, your recommendations are nonfiction, and mine are fiction. So uh, I don't know what that says. Yeah, I'm not much of a fiction reader. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I read fiction for – well, I write fiction, but I also write nonfiction. But I read fiction just to relax. And my first um, recommendation is – it's a non-horse book. It's called The House at Riverton by Kate Morton. And Glenn, I couldn't put this book down. It's been out for a little bit. But it starts like uh, pre-World War I, and it's – told from the story, uh, from the viewpoint of a maid in this huge, humongous, ritzy house. And um, just when you think 
you know, you kind of have her story down, then bam, the author comes in with just a twist that's like, oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. And then it flash forwards to this maid when she's in her 90s and she's retelling some of this. So some of it you're kind of getting in the moment and some you're getting in a flashback, which sounds kind of convoluted, but it works. And I mean, there's murder in there, there's secrets, there's family secrets. It's just, I, I mean, I was up three, four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I couldn't put it down. It's The House at Riverton by Kate Morton. Okay. And then my other one is Hugger Mugger by Robert B. Parker. So Robert B. Parker was a very, very famous mystery author, and he wrote a lot of the Spencer novels, or all of the Spencer novels. And um, Spencer's a private detective, and, and Hugger Mugger is actually kind of a racetrack-type uh, mystery, uh, written by somebody who is not really a horse person, but as far as I can tell, he got all of the details right. And I think we all just hate those books when when the character does something and you're going, No, that wouldn't that wouldn't happen. That wouldn't you know, right, or, or the right. storyline. But this was amazing. It was it was really a good story and um I don't like things that are like super gory. I used to read a lot of Stephen King and Dean Coots and I can't do that anymore. Uh, scares me. So, um. <laughs> well, you do live out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> <I do. laughs> at an old Indian burial grounds or something. Uh, exactly. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, camping grounds, but still, still. You know. Oh, I'm sure a few of them are buried there somewhere. Probably, probably. So, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. When that when the security light goes on, I don't know if it's the local groundhog or if it's you know <laughs> something else, you know, or the possum, but. But yeah, so I don't read really super scary things anymore. But Hugger well, yeah, Marker by either. Robert B. Parker is really good. Very good. So let's talk a little bit about State Line Tech, and then we're going to get to a question from a listener about motivation, basically. And, you know, we talk about State Line Tech, but I very seldom mention, and they have it highlighted on their homepage right now, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners, probably 80% of our listeners are, are trail riders, like mm-hmm. Jennifer and I, right? So they're trail riders, and that's what they do, and a lot of them are Western. Right now, they're highlighting their Western Saddles and Tax section, and it's click if you click right on the homepage there. It's 63 pages of stuff, and, uh, you know, just, just an endless amount I, Western, you know, I think there's a lot of English tech. When you, when you see how many different types of Western headstalls there are, <laughs> there must be a thousand different types of Western headstalls. And yeah. not to mention bits. I mean, <laughs> we're not even getting into bits. Right. But, and the, the other thing, too, with Western, and I know when we went to a couple of the Western tech shops when we were in Texas, the number of different saddle pads they make for Western is incredible. And some right. of them are very expensive. Right. Um, but yeah, they have uh, all of those things on here at statelinetech.com. And as I said, there's 63 pages of Western stuff. Uh, and not all of it is headstalls. Um, there's some, <laughs> there's some other things. Saddles too. There's a wide variety of saddle selections on here. And you need to go check it out. If you're looking to buy anything Western, head on over to statelinetech.com. And Christmas is coming. I'm just saying, you know, it we're is. only like eight weeks away. So oh, that's a little scary. All right, I got an email the other night, and she gave me permission to read this. I'm not going to say her name, 
Um, but she did give me permission to read it on the air today, and she asked for help. So, And she did mention you, and I think you're a perfect one to help with this because you lead a therapeutic riding program where people are a little nervous. Okay. So she asked, what do riders do about lack of motivation to ride? I know riding horses is a privilege, and I should be thankful that I have a horse to ride. But recently, I can't muster up the motivation to go out and ride. I just got my horse back from training at the end of August. We've been to two horse shows. We take weekly lessons, but I can't can't make myself excited about going out to ride at home. I'm not sure if I'm scared to ride alone or scared of having a bad ride. I don't know. But we've had beautiful weather here in Michigan, and I haven't ridden once. Coming into winter, I know the lack of motivation will only get worse. Yeah, it doesn't get better in the winter. No, no, it doesn't. No, no. So what do you what do you say to her? This you is know, an interesting question. There, there are two two things that come to mind for me, and I think you know at some point we've all struggled with this, Glenn. You know whether we we just don't want to ride or, or we're tired or, you know, and, and I can see it as a bigger picture too. We don't want to go to work. We don't want to go to the grocery store. And yeah, you could replace riding with anything. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, especially so, going to the gym. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, so one of the things I would, I would tell this person is to focus on the positive because I see in, in the, the email, the, the negative, you know, it's, it's like she's, she's afraid maybe of having a bad ride or afraid to ride alone, but she's not sure about that. Focus on what she loves or he loves about riding. Focus on the positive and, um, all of that. And then, um, number two, I would say, uh, if, if that doesn't do it, don't go out and ride. Just go take your horse for a walk. Um, I love taking my horses for a walk. I think it's it's just great fun and it's a great way to bond and and it's just a lot of um you know close time with your horse and your horse will enjoy it. And then the third thing I think too is is sometimes to kind of get over that hump of motivation is um make an appointment with yourself that you can't break. It's like a doctor's appointment or a job interview appointment. You know, I'm gonna go ride my horse at four o'clock on Friday. And that's that's a, an appointment you cannot move and you cannot break. Um, and then once you get there, you know, focus on the things that you really like about riding. And, you know, if you don't like, you know, lessons, or you don't like trail riding, find something that you do like, or try something new. You know, uh, if you, if you don't run barrels, try, try a walk trot barrel pattern. If you don't do dressage, try some of that. You know, if you, if you haven't done ground poles, try some of that, try something new and different with your horse, um, where you can maybe learn together and, you know, hopefully that will kind of get you over the hump. And I think it for me, it, it is a hump. Once I kind of get over that, oh, I really don't want to do that. Once I'm doing it, it's actually okay. Uh, that's true of anything, right? So, yeah. you know, no matter what it is. Yeah. You know, I kind of feel for her on this one. And, and by the way, uh, you're, this is not uncommon. It's probably more common. Exactly. There's more people listening to this going, yeah, I have that. And it's probably cyclical, too. Uh, you know, yeah. some people get it certain time, winter, obviously, but... I have the same thing. So, you know, I go out and see my pony probably two, maybe three times a week. Mm -hmm. Jennifer goes out almost every day. Mm -hmm. And she has been so good uh, with me about – she likes when I go out that it it's on my terms. She doesn't force me to go out. She never – 
forces me to go out to see the pony. And she, you know, takes care of the pony. It's at a boarding stable. It's taken care right. of anyway. And he right. preferred to be left alone. Right. So, um, but when I do go out, sh- she never forces me to drive. She said, do whatever you want to do. If it's just brushing, mm-hmm. if it's taking him out, you know, and hand grazing him, taking for mm-hmm. a walk, whatever. She never pushes anything. That has changed for me in my attitude about going out. Because it's never pressure. Right. And I think, too, you know, you've got a couple things going here. One is you're, it sounds like you keep your horse at home alone. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people will board that even can keep their horses at home so they have somebody to ride with. There's motivation there. That is true. You, you have to be truly motivated and not scared at all to ride home alone, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, I'm not sure I recommend riding home alone anyway, unless somebody's there. Well, here's what I do, Glenn. So a lot of times I'm at the farm by myself, and I always call somebody and say, I'm getting on my horse, and if I don't call you in 45 minutes, call 911. There you go. All right. Well, you have a, that's a plan, right? It makes yeah. you it makes you feel better. It, that's it some, does. Yeah. That's yes. some, and, you know, you are – nobody's going to notice you off your horse for a long time. No. So, no. <laughs> where you are. <laughs> But Jennifer's been really good about that, about really good about allowing me to have whatever experience I want to have when I go visit my pony. Mm-hmm. And that has made a world of difference in my attitude about wanting to do it. If she said to me, you have to come out today, you have to come out tomorrow, you have to come out the next day, I probably would resent that a bit. Yeah. And now it's it's a happy experience for me and it's a happy experience for the pony. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she or he, you know, got it right saying, you know, riding horses is a privilege. And, and it is. It's, it's a, it's a wonderful thing that not everybody has the opportunity to do. And, you know, something else that, that, um, this person might do too is, is on the fear thing. Um, I always say stay in your comfort zone until you can bump that comfort zone up. So if you're just comfortable walking, just walk. You know, if, if you're just, just comfortable just doing some walk trot stuff, just do that. Just do what, do what you're comfortable with. And, and I always tell her, you know, don't ever get on a horse that you're not comfortable with. If you're not feeling really good about getting on, don't get on or invite a friend over to watch you ride. You know, friend can drink wine and have pizza while you're riding. <laughs> you <know laughs> and what you said too, I think is so true. I was trying to think of what other things that you really lack motivation to do. Go to the gym, one, mm-hmm. right? Oh, that's so, a big or, one. Or work out at all. Work out at all, yeah, yeah. That's a big one. The other one is cooking. Yeah. So, you know, but what you said is so true. Once you start, once you actually get into the activity, whether it's working out or cooking, once you start the process of cooking, then all of a sudden it's okay. Yes, right? yes. So it's that getting to it. It's thing. just getting started. Yeah. It's like studying for an exam or, um, you know, doing a, doing a re- required report for work or, you know, cleaning your house. It's all of those things that once you start, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, this is not as bad as I thought it was, or I'm actually having a good time. So when you, when, when, I'm talking to the, to the person that wrote this, when you go out to the barn to see your pony, okay, or I think it's at your own farm. When you walk out, don't go out with any expectations. Don't go mm-hmm. out saying, I need to ride today. Just right. go out to see your pony. Yeah. After you get there and brush your pony or whatever you're doing, take hand graze them or whatever, and the motivation goes, you know, I do really feel like riding today. Mm-hmm. Once you get there and start doing something, mm-hmm. then determine what you're going to follow up with. Yeah. 
and that takes the expectations out because you know riding is kind of a pain. You got to brush, you got to tack up, you got it's a half an hour process, <laughs> it right? Is. It is, and you know with a cart, it's even it seems like it's even more. You know, right? I don't. I'm not sure it is, but <laughs> but but but, it seems but there's like a lot more. of little straps and buckles yeah. you got to check. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Then you got to get the cart out, and then you have to have somebody with you because you need a header, right? Um, so there is a lot of process to that. So I get where where this person is coming from, but I think just going out without any expectation, just starting to play, just yeah. play, have fun, yeah. And then when the motivation comes, if the motivation comes, then ride. Yeah, yeah. Groundwork. Yeah. There's all kinds of things you can do on the ground. Yep. You know, or just. Take Just your for a walk. We do a yeah. lot of walks with ours, and we get very strange looks because we'll be walking through the woods yeah. with them like dogs. Yeah, I uh, do too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, same thing. And and you know, and I call that groundwork because anytime you're on the ground with your horse, you're training them, you're teaching them something, good or bad or ugly or whatever. Um, but you also can have a really good time. Scooter loves it. He just loves adventures like that. He yeah. just he thinks it's a, you know the greatest thing ever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our horses do too. Yep. Well, there you go. That's. Uh, I hope that helped a little bit. Uh, so just get out there, you know, hang out and see what happens. And yes, you are not the only one in the world with this problem. No, no probably <laughs> half all, the people listening. No, 100% of the people have this about something. <laughs> yeah, that's for that's sure. true. That's true. <laughs> yes. And most of those somethings, it's probably a privilege. Exactly. And we still don't want to do it. No. <laughs> right. So, so there you go. This horse health segment is brought to you by Daily Dose Equine, non-GMO core nutrition for horses and ponies of all ages. Well, today we're so excited to have Dr. Eleanor Green with us. She's a veterinarian at Lincoln Memorial University, and they have a new program that hopefully, fingers crossed, is going to bring a lot of brand new equine veterinarians into the industry. So, Dr. Green, welcome. Welcome. I'm glad to be here and certainly to pitch in on a topic that's of great importance to all of us who love horses. Yes. And I know some of our listeners have, you know, four or six hour drives to get their horses to a vet. I know for us personally uh, at Colby's Army, I have a therapeutic uh, riding center. We have one one vet that's an hour and a half away and another that's an hour away. And, you know, most of it's telemedicine, really, uh, because we rarely see them, if ever, on property. So tell us about this new, brand new program to get equine vets into the industry. Well, you've already teed up the issue about the shortages of equine veterinarians with even 50% of the new graduates even leaving practice within the first five years. Wow. And and there are a lot of reasons for that. And one of the reasons is they have lower starting salaries and they have burnout. And, and one of the reasons for their lower starting salaries, we believe, is that it takes a while for them to get the experience they need to um, warrant a higher salary. And I hate to say that because I hope they get them at graduation, but that's uh, potentially an issue. Well, let me just tell you a little bit about how this program came about and what it's going to be. Dr. Jim Hurd and I have been immersed in the equine industry for our entire working and personal lives. And we have a deep understanding of of the industry from both sides. I'm a veterinarian. He's a PhD. We've both been in academia. I was at Texas A&M Dean just most recently. And, And so one day we were driving through Lexington and he said, wouldn't it be great if we could have an equine-only veterinary college? And of course, such a college couldn't meet the accreditation guidelines, but we started talking about it more and said, well, what about if we create an immersive equine veterinary education program within an existing college? Well, Lincoln Memorial University is a private university that's in 
Tennessee, and it it has the flexibility and the nimbleness to take on something like this. And so we worked with them, and they were a perfect home and are a perfect home for such a program. So what does this program look like? What we're doing is we are going to create a program that is going to be an immersive six years plus one semester program from undergraduate all the way through the DVM degree. And when an individual is admitted to the undergraduate, they're also admitted to veterinary school unless they just can't maintain it. And All right, i got to stop you there, Eleanor, because we were talking about this before the show. We've had these conversations on numerous shows on the network about the vet issue, and nobody ever asked the question, well, you know, it, it takes a 4.0 and a million dollars to get uh, to get into vet school in the first place. That's part of the progress pro- pro- uh, problem that we have. So when you when I heard that you said it was going to be undergrad all the way through, that changes the mix a whole lot and is something that we definitely need. Yeah, it really does. And and here's another thing about this program that we think is very clever. That is that we aren't going to train veterinary students who decide they want to be equine veterinarians. What we're going to do is take horse kids, young people who have grown up in the horse industry, off farms and ranches and out of rodeo and out of pony club and whatever it is that they're out of, they have a deep understanding of the horse, how to handle it, how to ride it, how to do whatever with horses. And then we're going to take those students and train them to be veterinarians. It's going to be a very different approach. That is really interesting because uh, when I was training professionally, I was in Washington State, and I'm actually here in Tennessee now. But in both states, I have gone to uh, veterinary colleges to teach prospective veterinarians about horse behavior. And I think that's a big thing where you, you can graduate with a veterinary degree at a lot of places and really not know anything about the horse. You know, you're exactly right. We can, we can in veterinary colleges, and I've been involved in many of them, do a wonderful job of teaching the medicine. Yes. It is very difficult to teach a student to be a horseman during veterinary college, and you just nailed it right there. And so we're going to bring them in as horsemen at the beginning and then give them the medical knowledge they need. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So is this program going now? Do you have your first students in place? We are accepting applications this fall, and they will start next fall, except one other unique feature of this uh, program is summer internships, except they will actually start the summer before they start classes because they will start their first immersive summer internship experience. Another unique feature of this program is that it's going to have six summer-long working internships. The first two will be with farms and ranches. And the last four will be with veterinary clinics. And we already have a lot of people on board to take these students. We have uh, we have a lot of the different farms and ranches on, on the quarter horse side. We have verbal commitments from the four sixes from King Ranch, Brazos Valley Equine, and Lazy E. And those are just a few, and we got more to come. On the thoroughbred side, we already have verbal commitments from Calumet, Gainesway, Spendthrift, TaylorMade, Lane's End, Denali. And veterinary practices expressing interest so far are Haggard's, Rudin Riddle, Avante, 113 Equine, ESMS, uh, Brandon Equine Medical Center in Florida. They're all over, and there's certainly going to be many more to come. So this is going to be another thing. 
that they that helps students because they'll get paid while they learn even more. And these farms will line up to get them because they want help that already knows how to handle horses. So, so I, I love the paid internship part of it too because I think it, it costs like what eighteen million dollars to go to vet school. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> and this would would this help then? I think uh, offset some of those costs. Yeah. Yes, it will. And we're hoping our students can graduate with less debt for several reasons. One is that the length of the education is less. So they have, you know, nearly two years less to pay Mm -hmm. for. Plus, they can start earning two years earlier. Plus, they can make money while they're learning during vet school. And we think all those things can add up together to to uh, curb the debt. In addition to that, we didn't even start this program. And we've already had people calling to want to do scholarships. We have three uh, scholarships already for um, one of them is 25000 a year for the four years of the students uh, program. And uh, and these this isn't this is without us even asking. So we think that this program is going to attract a lot of scholarship support as well. All right. So you got them coming. Basically, as I understand it, they're going to be coming out of high school, or they're a little older and they want to change careers and get into this or whatever. Uh, they come out of a, get a working students for a professional writer for a while and decide to go into veterinary, and this would be a perfect way for them to do that too. What requirements are they going to have academically or otherwise to get into the program? You know, the requirements will be uh, the same as every other vet student. They're not going to lower standards for these students at all. Uh, LMU is accepts students at a lower grade point than some other colleges, and their students are fantastic. I'm, I'm not saying that, that that's a lower quality program because they actually have data that show that the students – that don't get in even have have the same uh, records as some of those who do. And the students who get in with a lower, uh, at the lower end of the class do just as well as those on the upper end. There's very little difference once they get in. So any, all I'm saying is that the quality is going to be good, but there will be standards that will be the same as for veterinary school. But here's the thing. They don't have to compete with this pool of 1,500 other people. Yeah, that's the other thing. You know, you'll have you'll have a right. pool, and a lot of them are going into vet school to be small animal vets too. Mm-hmm. Exactly, so, yeah. and so they're yeah. taking up the spots, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah there this, are, there are a lot of yeah there are a lot of of young people that that come out of these environments, and maybe maybe they've had to work in the summers, maybe they've gone to the Olympics in the summers and ridden. Who knows? But for whatever reason, sometimes their grade point. Is, is not as high as some others who don't have to work, who haven't immersed themselves in the industry. And sometimes they are just in that cutoff point that don't get in, and yet they could be fantastic students. Right. And we hope that we'll get some of them as well. Right. And I think, you know, with, with horses, I'm sure with every animal, but I think with horses, it you know, <laughs> learning so much about um, horse behavior and herd behavior and herd dynamics can really help you diagnose if you really understand what you're looking at. And having people with... with you know, born and bred, so to speak, into that industry and, and being raised with horses and, and having a good feel for that, um, I think can put them light years ahead. And that would certainly make up for, you know, maybe a B plus in chemistry versus an A. I, that's exactly what we're thinking. And, you know, you hit on a really good point. I'm, I've, my husband and I both been in the horse industry since we were born and he went the PhD route and his PhD happens to be in equine behavior 
and I went the veterinary route, and I actually taught equine behavior. So we both get it and understand the importance of, beha- of behavior and assessing an animal in, in a medical condition or any other. And, you know, Chris Cox is one of our advisory council members, and I, don't, I get, think most people know who he is. But Chris. he has said before, he said, you know, my horses are worth a lot of money, and I spend a lot of time getting them to respond correctly. And he said, it doesn't take any time for somebody to mess up my foundation by handling them wrong. And he said, if somebody comes on my place and can't handle my horse, they're not coming back. Well, not only that, yeah. I mean, you're talking about the health of the veterinarian, too. You got somebody coming out of vet school, hasn't dealt with horses a lot, they're going to get hurt. Exactly. Uh, you know, and that's yes. the other thing, you know, they get hurt, and that's what, probably one of the reasons that half of them bail in the first five years, is it is dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. And you talked about assessment for illness, but assessment for safety is, is equally as important. Well, I think this is brilliant. We, we it's thinking way outside the box, we, and you got a university degree to it, so there's that. Yeah. Um, where is LMU? What part of the Tennessee is it in? You know, LMU is it's an hour and a half from Knoxville. It's right on the Kentucky line and and up by Virginia and Kentucky. It's right in that corner. It's in the Cumberland Mountains, right by the Cumberland Gap. It's a beautiful setting. And interestingly, Pete DeBusk is the one who started this program. He was an LMU graduate and has um, attributes his education at LMU for his great success. He's a multi-billionaire. He has like 70 medical patents, and he wanted to give back to the area. And so he has created this school, Lincoln Memorial University, and it has a med school and a vet school and a dental school and a nursing school and on and on and all, mainly professional-focused. And and he's very flexible. We asked him, we said, how long do you think it would take to get a program like this approved? And he said, 15 minutes. I'm chairman of the board. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, and that is so um, uh, unfamiliar in most established universities. And they're all wonderful. I'm not being critical. I've spent my life in universities. However, they, they are unwieldy well, and big sometimes. And they're political. And, yes. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. LMU is not. And then also, you know, you're dealing with, you're trying to change the whole world for a very small number of students. And, and so a lot of them can't actually make that many sessions for just a small percentage of their students but lincoln memorial can they can be very innovative and flexible and we're we're very pleased with their entire leadership team all so right I'm, so they I'm, don't I'm, you don't have to have a southern accent to go there <laughs> no okay. do not all right. so i'm, I'm <laughs> no they already recruit nationwide they already okay. have students from all over the country yeah um so uh dr green I, I know that there's going to be some um, younger people who are already in college listening to this and thinking, man, I want to be part of this program. So if they're a junior or a senior or a sophomore, they're already going to some other school, What can they be accepted into this program and how would that change things? All right. We talked about this a lot and we said, look, part of the beauty of this program is they're going to come in as a cohort. So there'll be probably at the first year, maybe 25 students. They'll come in together. They'll go through the whole program together. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll share their experiences. There'll be a lot of peer to peer learning, not only from their past experiences, but also from those they glean in their internships. And so we talked a lot about what to do about that. Can students come in and enter? And at this point, it, it's, in a sense, not really yet. However, there's no reason that a person from any other program can't enter veterinary school at LMU. And we're looking at how can we embellish 
their experiences, even though they wouldn't be directly a part of this, and have them uh, participate in as many of these areas as they could? And so the answer is sort of a yes, but not not truly a, this program, if that makes sense. You know, that makes sense to me because part of what part of this experience is that summer internship. You know, that's they're going to learn as much there as they are in school. So, I, you know, I kind of get why you're why you say that. Well, and not I, skipping yeah. a couple of years yeah. of that. I like too the the fact that they're coming in and they're a group and they're going through together, and that's going to stay with them their entire professional lives. Those connections, it will networking. It will. And imagine, imagine someone coming from West Texas off of a ranch and from Pennsylvania off of a three-day eventing farm and off the Northwest off of a different program and Florida off of the polo teams and, you know, whatever it is, but imagine all those wonderful horsemen getting together and sharing their experiences. And I know that I always say I love a really good horse of any discipline. And I'm not tied to any one discipline. I just appreciate a great horse. And I think we learn from each other in those disciplines. Okay. How do I sign up? I'm, I'm only, <laughs> uh, I'm only you 60. Know, you know, is, you're, is it too old yeah. for that? Yeah. No, you're not. Okay. And and I got to tell you, get in line behind me because I want to start <laughs> over and do it. I would have given anything to have a program like this when when I was a student. Anything. How do they find out about it and, uh, you know, do pre-registration or ask questions? They just go online at Lincoln Memorial. They have a website up, and you can get information there. And if not, you can have them contact, um, you know, me or Dr. Hurd or just the the leadership at Lincoln Memorial University Veterinary College. I mean, they they will be able to find information easily. And we'll put a link to. I have the link here directly to the Equine Veterinary Education Program, and I will put a link to that in our show notes. So just right there in your podcast player, you can click on it and go find it. If you know. And if, you know, not just yourself, if you're thinking, well, I, you know, I went a different route or I would have loved to do this, you know, people, young people, or even somebody a little bit older that would like to do this, just let them know. This is how we, we need to do this to get, you know, to save our, to save our industry. Cause without veterinarians, we're, you know, we're in trouble. So, uh, thank you, Dr. Green. Appreciate it. Well, thank you all for getting the word out. And, uh, you know, Dr. Hurd and I have been around for a long, long time and, you know, this is one of the most impactful things we've done in our entire careers. We can't wait to see the impact of this program. Well, Daily Dose Equine sponsors our health segment, and they offer a full line of handcrafted horse feeds to maximize the health and performance of horses and ponies of all ages, including Scooter. Scooter eats the Carb Buster. He gets about two cups of that a day, plus hay and free choice salt, and all his nutrition needs are met. And the Carb Buster is really meant for the fat ponies like Scooter, who actually looks terrific this year. It's the best he's ever looked. And, you know, each custom feed has been developed with whole grains and non-GMO ingredients to eliminate the risk of contamination and herbicides and all of that. Uh, they are also horse people themselves, and they've seen firsthand the difference that superior nutrition can have on our equine partners. So you can learn more about Daily Dose Equine and the formulas and all of that at DailyDoseEquine.com. And what's really cool is this is not available in all the tax shops or feed stores yet, but you can buy it at Chewy. And you know at Chewy you can get free shipping, so that's how we do it. We have it shipped. And they, all their products are at Chewy.com, so it, to find out more, go to DailyDoseEquine.com and go to Chewy if you want to get Carbuster for your fat pony, too. 
All right, it is time for study show. So, you have you been on for study show? Before? I have, yeah. All right. So, what we're going to do is, I am going to. I went through uh, Google today, and I look at the news section, and I put in study show, and I look at the last month, and I see where we're wasting our money. Millions and millions of dollars doing studies on things we already knew the answer to. <laughs> and to prove that, I will read part of the study, and you have to guess what the other part is. Okay. <laughs> All right. And this, you can play this game at home too. So it just proves that we don't need these studies. They could have given us the money and right. everybody would have been happier. Exactly. So that's, yeah. So here we go. And I got some good ones this time. <laughs> studies show that U.S. home prices are going up or down in August. Oh, up. Ding, ding, ding. No, they're going down because of the recession. Oh. Uh, actually. Well, not home, here in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certain pockets, I think. This is nationally. But I did read yesterday in Ocala that uh, home prices are down 24%. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, year over year over last year. Well, they were way up last year. <laughs> I mean, wow. They're well, probably getting back to where they should be. So. Nashville is, is like the it city. Like everybody is moving here and traffic is nuts and prices still keep climbing. So we, I guess we're it in one of used to be, pockets. unless you were Western, really country, you didn't move to oh, Nashville. No. And now it's everybody, right? Everybody wants to be here. Even, you know, non-country musicians are going to Nashville to record their records. Oh, yeah. Oh, and they have, they've been doing that for years. So I used to have a, an office on Music Row when I was a music industry publicist <laughs> and I had a truck and I, came out of my office one day and the tailgate of my truck was down and Billy Joel was sitting on my tailgate. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he and a couple Piano people, Man days? Yeah. This yeah. was well this was um early nineteen nineties probably. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the first concerts I ever saw. Really? Yep. That's wow. right. And it was it was you know, he had seven pianos and all I know uh, it was when he still had hair. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't quite so heavy then either. No. Um, good music, though. <clears throat> yes. yes. You probably have a lot of celebrity stories. <laughs> Just a few. <laughs> Studies show that burnout in the workplace is on... Fire. Yes, it's on the rise. No, again, we didn't need a study to say that burnout in the workplace is on the rise. No <laughs> kidding. Like we didn't know that already. And, uh, you know, that's, but people with the difference now, I think, is especially with the 20s and 30s, uh, the 20 year olds and 30 year olds, is they're more willing to quit and move to the next they day. They are. They are. Uh, than we were. You and I were, you know, still in that day where you got a job and you kept it forever, right? Yes. Because uh, yeah. and our parents definitely were in that day. Oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. I don't, my dad had the same job forever. So yeah, until he retired, retired from the company yep. you started. Exactly. With. So uh, yeah, that's not so much anymore, and it's easier to get a new job because, especially if you're in high demand areas, mm -hmm. obviously. Uh, how about this? This is the one again where we spent money to do this study. Studies show morale among teachers is at a, at a all time low. Exactly. Those exact words. <laughs> Again, yeah. we knew that. We knew that. Um, this is I had. I never read the studies. I always look just look at the titles. That's what this segment's about. But this one I had to read <laughs> because it was so ridiculous. I had to go in and read it. Lack of sleep is um, increasing um, or uh, decreasing. No, no. It's <laughs> lack of sleep is bad for you. 
Oh, well. See, you didn't go to the obvious. Because <laughs> we all know that. I'm so trying this, to overthink this. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Lack of sleep is bad for you. And this is what the studies show. I actually went and read it. Individuals with short sleep duration, so you don't sleep much, less than seven hours each night, yeah. had a higher chance of the following. And these are the four things they determined. Having low sleep efficiency, in other words, you can't sleep even when you're in bed. Right. No kidding. Yeah. Irregular sleep patterns, excessive daytime sleepiness. So wait, <laughs> lack of sleep causes sleepiness. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. And sleep apnea. So how many millions of dollars did we spend on I that one? I don't know. But I am really shocked to find out that if I don't sleep well at night, I'm tired the next day. <laughs> Just shocked. By the way, I stayed up late last night. I never do. But I stayed up late last night because I went back and I'm watching some of the series that I missed because you can do that now. Right. And I'm binge watching. And I went back to The Mentalist. Oh, yeah. Which was from maybe the early, I don't know, 15 years ago. Probably. And they had like eight seasons and nine seasons. It went on for a long time. And that's in the days when seasons were 30 episodes long. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And actually, I like a show. I've been binging on it. And last night I stayed up and watched four of them. So that, oh, wow. that put me that's, late. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's two hours there. Okay, so puzzles. You know the kind you build on your kitchen table? Mm-hmm. Uh, they are good or bad for your brain? I'm going to say good for your brain. Yes, they are. They're good for your brain. Big surprise there. Yeah. Using your brain is good for it. <laughs> <laughs> That should have been the study. We found out that using your brain is good for your brain. Use it or lose it. That's right. That's right. And that's what they're saying even uh, with uh, to avoid early onset Alzheimer's or any of those is use your brain, you know. Uh, actually do things that require you to think. A new study show that a cat can recognize your... Face. Smell. Yeah. Voice. Voice. Well, now, I think they choose to ignore it 99% of well, the time. Well, they do, but <laughs> yes. they do. But I but, know we so Bob, our bard cat who is all over our Facebook page, he recognizes people I think just by their smell or their face because they don't even say a word and he knows who they are. I know he, he knows who they are. He chooses to ignore them a lot of times. No, he'll. I mean, he has to wake up first. I mean, that's the big <laughs> right. thing. But. Bob does spend a lot. Of, most of your pictures are of Bob sleeping. Bob, Bob sleeps all the time. <laughs> yeah. But once he's awake, you know, he he recognizes people. Yeah, we have a couple cats in the neighborhood. Um, and they come to visit us all the time. Every time we come home, they're at the front door. They're, and Jennifer loves it because she can. It's like she has a cat without having to have a cat. Oh, that's nice. So she feeds them a little in the afternoons, and they always come by. But she never lets them in the house. Thank God. Right. Um, but they're super sweet cats, and they come visit all the time. And it's so it is kind of cool to come home and pull in the driveway, and the neighbor cat runs over. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> She's home. And we don't have to clean the litter box. It's so nice. Very nice. All right, two more. Studies show that there is blank between cattle and bison. There is blank between cattle and bison. There is um, nothing. (laughs) No, it's just the opposite. There's common traits between cattle and bison. And again, I went, duh. Okay, they both chew cud. They both walk on their toes. Yes. They both kind of look like big cows. Yes. Uh, You know, they have, they eat grass. They have all of the same traits. Yes. Yes. And they kind of taste the same. And they have short necks. Yeah, and they kind of taste the same. And their heads look the same. (laughs) 
I mean, yes, see, I wouldn't everything. say that with Jamie here, but I can say that with you here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one last one. We always have coffee or some beverage. It's usually coffee or alcohol in a study at every month. This one's a little different. Massive new study, and this was big. It was tens of thousands of people. Massive new study shows that drinking tea is good for you. Yes, that's right. <laughs> did you? Did anybody assume that drinking tea was bad for you? It, you everybody assumes that coffee's either good or bad for you. It's got you know, it's one or the other. And every study we've shown for the last ten years, every month, it's different. It's bad for you. It's good for you. Yes. You'll live longer. You'll die sooner. Coffee's always been that way. But nobody hates on tea. No, no, <laughs> no. And like, I will tell you this: my mother has has drank green tea for I don't know seventy or eighty. That's my years. favorite too. Yeah. She's 99 years old, and she's still in her house, and she drinks green tea all the time. Does she put something in it? No. No, no, no. No, she doesn't. She doesn't. And she smoked for 80 years and doesn't have cancer. Yeah, that's that's hereditary. (laughs) Yeah. And those of you who know my mother, don't tell her I'm talking about her because she'll hate me. But that's hereditary. You smoke that long and don't get lung cancer. It has to be, yes. Yeah, you're just lucky. But it's true. I do like tea. I am. I am. I. I do like. I like iced tea. Mm-hmm. I like uh, hot tea. But I'm also a green tea person. And the fruitier tasting, the better. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, but then we like our wine that way too. Well, there you go. So there's your study show for the month. And if they just sent us the money, look, you could fund your whole operation for a lifetime. Think of all of. All of the stuff that you could do. So there was a study, too, and you probably talked about this, Glenn, but there was a study that came out uh, on horses maybe six months or so ago that horses recognize your faces, too. Yes, I did. I also also think they recognize your voices. Of course they do. Because I'll be – Scooter's out, and they're all in separate paddocks out there, and there's a lot of horses. And he'll hear me talking, and he screams every time. He doesn't have to see me. He hears my voice, and he screams. And he does every single time I go out. The other day, I went out, and he had a mouthful and didn't scream. And then I think he decided, well, i got to eat this first and then forgot. Yeah. And it was just like I was so disappointed because he screams every single time I go out. And and sometimes when there's nobody out there, I'll just say, hi, Scooter, from across 10 paddocks. He can't see me. And he screams. You know, he just knows. He knows. I I think they recognize your voices. I I wonder if they recognize a scent and voices more than faces. I don't know. There's a study for you. Yeah. Let's, well, that millions of dollars we spent studying tea, we could have put to this. Exactly. Like exactly. Far more impactful. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. So where can people, anything new in the book front? Nothing that we haven't talked about uh, on Monday. So. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Where can they find your books? Oh, just Amazon.com can find me at LisaWysaki.com. Uh, or I'm on Facebook, too. All right, sounds good. And auditors, hang on. We'll do a post show, not hopefully as depressing as the other day. Uh, we'll get. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we can't promise anything, but we'll try. We'll figure it out. Yeah, and of course, tomorrow is the brand new EquiHealth segment that, or episode that we're going to do once a month. Yay. That is done by the old hosts of the Sales and Breeding, uh, Emily and Kayla. Uh, Kayla is really into people health. So this is more about people health and working out and, you know, maintaining fitness. You know the thing I said we put off yes, earlier in the thing, show? Yes. Yeah, she's talking about that tomorrow. 
Uh, so I'll probably put off listening. I mean, I'll listen right away. <laughs> so that'll be tomorrow's show. And then on Friday, we're going to have a best up for you. You're out on Friday. And yeah. what we decided to do over the last many of years, we have worked with Horse Nation on Halloween writing contest. And we have read several of their stories that uh, you guys have written on the air every year. We always pick the, the top five and we read them on the air every year. So I'm putting a special to together for Friday. That's a special Halloween edition. Oh, how fun. That's, that's going to be the best of these stories that we've done all, all through time. So they were great stories. You can listen to them again. A lot of them I put music to and, you know, added some fun stuff to them. So uh, that's going to be Friday's episode. It's going to be a special episode all about Halloween, my least favorite holiday. So that is coming up on Friday as well. And then Lisa, you're going to be here all next week. I will. I will. And then Can't wait. Jamie will be back when she, or she'll be back when she's done teaching her clinic, which uh, we assume she's doing. Although there's been no pictures. I know. So we, I know. We have no proof. Jamie, post some pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Time for the Auditor Post Show. We want to remind you that this is not always safe for work or the kiddos. Thanks for hanging around for our nonsense. So what are we going to talk about? <laughs> I don't know. You know, something that comes to mind is Halloween and, and holidays with horses because um, uh, some Do you horses... guys do anything at Colby's Army for Halloween? Well, we have, we have a spooky trail creek walk. Uh, okay. We have a potluck and, and we all dress up. Well, some of us dress up and uh, we have a potluck and then we, we came. Are you one of the ones that doesn't dress up? I do dress up. Oh, what, what do you, what well, you the last year? couple of years I've dressed up as Tessie, who is our lead mayor. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> she bitchy. What, what do you do? I it's, mean. it's really easy because you just stuff some pillows and, and I had found a brown jumpsuit and I paint a white stripe <laughs> down my nose and I, t I used baling twine to make a tail. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Except my tail the last couple of years has been too long. I keep stepping on it and <laughs> tripping myself. So, um, yeah, I'm going to be something different this year, but I don't know what. So you're a Morgan horse then. Uh, with the well, well she, a she's a, she's a Belgian quarter horse cross. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, but but it's it's an easy costume to do, and um, um, but yeah, we're going to do that again this year uh, after Halloween. We're doing it the Saturday after. But you know, when I was a kid, Glenn, um, you know, I I did the typical trick or treating. But then, uh, as I got older, a friend of and I, we'd take our horses out on Halloween night, and I had a white. Appaloosa mare, and I'd dress up as a sheet, and I'd be a ghost horse, scare the crap out of the little kids in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> and and my friend uh, had a Belgian quarter horse cross, and she went as the headless horseman. She kind of had this pumpkin as a head. And there's I mean, always a headless horseman. We rode all over all the neighborhoods. And back that was back in the day when you could do that. And um, you know, I mean, at night, my mom never said a word about it. You know, being being out at dark. On this your horse. Is, this is our first time in a neighborhood in years. I mean, oh, wow. 30 years, probably. We've always been at farms where, you know, with gates. Yeah, so. yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Jennifer's in charge of trick-or-treaters if she wants to do it, because I don't do trick-or-treaters. So yeah, I'll just hide in the house. stock and, up on the candy. Yes. You're probably, if you're in a neighborhood, you'll get a lot. Yeah, and this is a big neighborhood. There's like 20,000 homes in this neighborhood. Oh, my so, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, you get sure a ton. I'm sure they just... Can you imagine the candy you get in a neighborhood like this? So here's the thing. So I used to live in a neighborhood. What you have to do is when you run out of candy, you have to turn off all the lights and then go in the closet yes. and hide. Yes. <laughs> That's what I did anyway. Yeah. So um, what was... I'm trying to remember when we were kids and doing that... You always have the bad houses that give you crappy stuff. Yes. Right? Yes. And that's just true. Um, and the crappy houses in those days gave you popcorn balls. Yes. Yes. Do you remember those? Oh, yes. And yeah. they were wrapped in like a plastic wrap. Yep. Um, and they, they took a, they were basically. It's popcorn and syrup, and, and you can buy them at the grocery store now. They still sell popcorn balls. But that meant that they had to take their hands and make those things. This and is it's true. Just like, <laughs> this is true. This is true. And in those days, that was the days, too, and probably when you were a kid, when the razor blade thing was a problem. Well, that so, was, I, I, I was a little bit ahead of that, but when my son was little, that was a thing. I mean, we, I went through every single piece of candy. Yeah, the the hospitals used to X-ray them for you. I, I think they still do. <laughs> do they? Yeah, I think they still will. Some hospitals will. Yeah. And then you so the crappy the crappy stuff was the popcorn balls, um, apples. Yeah, apples. I was going to say, <laughs> who yep. wants an apple? And nobody that was wants. always yeah, nobody wants an apple. So we uh, had one house, Glenn, that um, we would go and they would give you six, like a package of six full sized Hershey bars. Whoa. I don't know how many, every kid went to that house, and I don't know how many they had to buy, but it was like the house to go to. Well, and when you, when we were kids, the little bars weren't as prevalent. You, no. You, they no. weren't, no. not every candy bar was made in little. No. So you got full-size bars. Yes. Yeah. 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 Which was really cool. And so when, when I was living in the neighborhood, the people next door were like the Griswold family, like the Griswold Christmas thing and they decorated for every single holiday their entire yard and so they were the they were the family who had the ghosts and the dry ice you know in the front yard yep. so <laughs> I'd get the bleed over I just put like a pumpkin on the front porch but <laughs> People would say, "Oh, there's somebody over there." So, so they would have masses of people who would go to that house, and then they'd, they'd all come over. So, I would all was have to, um, you know, buy a lot of candy. But you know, finances are limited sometimes, and you can only buy so much candy. So, um, that's when the lights go off. That's when the lights go off. <laughs> <laughs> and in the closet you go. In the closet, yes, yes, exactly. So, and it used to be. I don't think it's that way anymore. But it used to be that. They tried to guess who you were. Yes. Because I lived in a little town where everybody knew everybody. Yes. So that was the thing. And, or you knew, you knew the kids because you had kids, you yeah. know, that were that age and you always tried to guess who they were. Um, so that was a thing back then. I don't know that that's a thing anymore. Well, and I the think other it's thing small that, towns it is. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. 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 And trunk or treating is a big thing now too. That's a big thing. Yes. Yeah. I see that all over the place. In fact, our bank is having a trunk or treat thing. Um, Sometime it's probably safer. <laughs> probably, probably. Yeah. And but I think I mean, a lot of churches have have you know trick or treating or or you know community halls have trick or treating. Um, but when you and I were kids, we would go, there, our parents didn't go with us. Are you kidding? No, they, that was embarrassing. No. You don't want your parents going with you. No. You went out with your group of friends and you went all over town, yes. which in my case was probably two miles to the other end of town. Yeah, and back. And you did that until ten o'clock at night. Yes, uh, and nobody cared. You were six, you know, no. and you were with your friends. So. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so my mom would. We had a 
big old mercury that held, I don't know, like 10 people. And so she would get all, all the kids and we'd all pile in and we'd go, car. we'd go to a neighborhood <laughs> and she'd just sit at the end of the neighborhood. We'd go, we'd just run rampant through the neighborhood and get to all the houses. And then we'd drive like, I don't know, a quarter mile down the road to the next neighborhood, you know, and, um, but, but I remember because I grew up in Minnesota. I grew up oh, remembering snow, snow, in the ground. snow. I remember, see, I was always Batman. I always went as Batman. And so I had like the, the winter knee boots up to my knees. And here I am, six year old Batman. But the, the snow was up over my boots. In, and then Halloween. you got to wear a coat that covers up your costume. No, I just froze. But <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that in the cold weather areas. It's like you got to wear a coat covers up your costume. Yeah, it does. Or you wear a warm costume. But but then I got to thinking. Okay, so when you're six, your knees are only like what six inches off the ground. So it wasn't as much snow as I remember, probably. And I was never in the toilet paper gang, so oh. we we were the receivers of the toilet paper. Really? <laughs> yeah, our house, because there were four boys. So, you know, you always so, go after your friends' houses, and there were four of us. So it's like, we had a lot of friends coming after the, and we had this big tree in the front yard. Oh, my goodness. So I'm going to tell you something, and, and so nobody can, nobody's going to listen to this, right? <laughs> no, nobody listens to this. We proved that the other day. Yeah, exactly. So when, when I was in college, uh, a friend of mine decided we were going to TP the campus, and we were at a small agricultural school in southern Minnesota. And so we were on the roof of the boys' dorm, and we were throwing toilet paper rolls around, and and the um, the I don't know the headmaster or whatever was was walking through, and he he opened a window that was right below us and said, "Who's oh, no. up there?" And so I was just just scared to death. And so I um I just kind of leaned over and grabbed the gutter and dropped down to the, to the ground. While my friend, who was a tall, skinny girl, had a Western belt buckle on, and she got caught on the no. gutter. <laughs> she got caught up on the gutter, hanging there. Well, I. I I, I left her. <laughs> of course, I, that's I what you do. <laughs> We're not the Marines. We don't hang around for everybody. <laughs> and and uh, she didn't get caught. I don't know how, because her legs were hanging down over the window. <laughs> but, but yeah, that was the only time I ever TP'd anything. Yeah, I remember we used to do soaping more than TP. Oh, yeah. yeah that's a, just, just as destructive. Yeah, we used to do, we used to soap the cars in the, you know, if your car was sitting out, you were screwed. Yeah. Um, you were getting soaped by somebody. But, uh, yeah, soaping windows, I remember doing more than TPing. Yeah. Probably because my mom wouldn't let us have the toilet paper. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> but we could sneak soap out. It's kind of harder to sneak toilet paper out. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I don't know. I just, uh, and I know Halloween isn't one of your favorite holidays, but, um, I, th- I think it's fun to, to dress up um, and be well, silly. and it wasn't as it was a thing back then, but it wasn't like you didn't have Halloween parties back no. then. The kids went out, and that was it. You know, I, I don't remember. Do you remember Halloween parties back no. then? No, I don't either. No, I think that's a fairly it's in the last twenty thirty year thing. Yeah, I think it's a newer yeah. thing. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. and then scary movies were always there, but not to the degree they are now. Either, no, so. No. And you know, here's the other thing. This is a pet peeve of mine. So, so some of the movie channels have been running scary movies for like, like since, I don't know, since Labor Day, you know, and and they start the Christmas movies in July. I mean, it's like, okay, just don't want to see that right now. I'd like to see something else, but there's nothing else available. 
No, I, we noticed the same thing. Now, um, Jennifer decided, because Angela Lansbury died recently. Yes. So she thought, she found it on one of the services, and she, uh, Murder, She Wrote. So she went back and tried watching it. And she got about halfway through the, I, I came in when she was watching, I said, Murder, She Wrote? And uh, she said, yeah, it's not very good. And <laughs> she said it definitely, she gave up. She said it definitely doesn't hold up. It just doesn't yeah. hold up. yeah. Yeah, some of those older shows that we just loved, you know, you go back and watch them and, and they're not what you remember. Well, first of all, they're talking on phones hanging down the wall. And yes. that just, you know, nowadays it's like when they don't have a cell phone and they have to go make a phone call, it's like, wow, we really did that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, I I like that part of it because it's it just shows a different time and and I appreciate what we have now. <laughs> So, um, but I like when they, oh, they have, there's a phone booth. I got to stop and make a phone call. Yeah. Or they're using a map. Like oh, yeah. An actual map. Yes. They're using a map. Yeah. I forgot about those. Yes. And then you're always lost because you didn't know, you had to know where you were to find yourself on the map. See, that's that the was thing. the problem with maps. That's the thing. You don't know where yeah. you are. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, those are the days. Oh, well, um, now that we talked about old times. Uh, <laughs> so you kids go out and, uh, well, no kids are listening. But we hope your kids go out and get full-size candy bars and not the crappy yes. little ones. Yeah, and no apples. Yeah. No apples and no no popcorn bowls. No. no. Uh, Rice Krispie treats, too. That was the thing, and I've never liked those. Jennifer loves Rice Krispie treats. She's the only one I know. Really? That will eat rice. She'll buy them at the store and eat Rice Krispie treats. Wow. I know one person other than Jennifer who likes them. Mm, yeah, I'm not a fan either. Yeah. First of all, they get stuck in your teeth and you can't get it out. Yeah. That's the other problem. Uh, they're just... Before uh, we go, do you have a show you're watching right now? Do I have a show that I'm watching right now? You know, I'm watching um, uh, Monarch. Uh, on, oh, yeah, yeah. on Fox, it's the country music thing with Trace Atkins. Yeah, and um, so so here's my connection to Trace Atkins. So for about 20 years, we had the same hairdresser, and so <laughs> so occasionally I'd I'd bump into uh, his wife. At Did the you time. call her and say when's he coming in so I can? No. No. no, but often his wife, Rhonda, would be there. They've since divorced. But Rhonda used to be a publicist when I was a publicist. So uh, so I was interested just because of that connection. And um, so so my take on that is the acting isn't all that great, but the storyline, whoever's writing that show, is pretty good. Storylines are pretty and good. And you're hanging with it even with the bad acting? Yeah. Yeah. How old is Trace Atkins? I don't know. He's got to be close to 60. Uh, he's got to be my age, I would think. He has to be, yeah. All right, I just looked him up. He's 60. He's my age. Yep. Oh, there you go. Yeah, he's born in 62. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, you know, but the story, the storylines are really good. At least I think so. And so I'm hanging in there for that. I forgot he, he got shot. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. That was with his wife, wasn't it? Trace? Yes. So, after, two years after relocating, Adkins, oh yeah, that was who had divorced Lewis in 1990, was shot yes. while trying to disarm his second wife. Yes. After she pointed a gun at him in a fight over his drinking turned violent. Oof. Yeah, I had forgotten that too. The bullet went through his heart and both lungs. How the hell did he live through that? That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. The things, the things we learned in the post show. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Also, how did he lose his pinky? 
Um, let's read about that. Atkins left Pinky was cut off while he was working on an oil rig, cutting open a bucket with a knife. Oh, oh, that just sounds so painful. They were able to reattach the finger, but it's permanently bent at an angle so he could still play the guitar. Wow. Who wow. knew? You just don't know. You just don't know. Are you on Google? Yes. <laughs> so it's your friend. <laughs> See, I didn't know any of that. <laughs> well, now you've all learned something today in the post show. We're going to let you go. Congratulations. You made it through another post show. Thank you for all your support. Now, go ride your horse. <laughs>